0: You know, I I never, uh, when when coming to a place of of looking for, uh, you know, what we're going to be doing as a series as a church, we always do series as a church. We rarely just have like the one hit wonder Sunday. Uh, It's typically we're we're working through passages of scripture. I never uh, kind of look at the church and go, "What does everybody need to hear?" And then kind of come up with a good sermon for that. That's just not, it's just not who we are as a people. It's not who I am as a pastor. We, we take time and we try to pray and seek the Lord on what it is that he's speaking to us and where it is that he's leading us. And, and I, I was just kind of standing in awe and in wonder of the journey that he's brought us on as a people through this current series and kind of how it has led us to this place where we are physically as a people looking and searching. So what I want to do today um, is kind of stop and pause and take a giant step back from our series. And what I want to do is I want us to kind of try to see where have we been Where are we right now, and where are we going in this series? Because I think the Lord uses uh, our study of Scripture, and I mean this both uh, corporately and individually, He uses our study of Scripture to lead and guide our lives. Has anybody else ever noticed that? Anybody else ever had the experience of like, you get up in the morning, you spend time with Jesus, and you're reading the Word, and you're praying, and you're soaking in His presence, and, and you read things that just speak to you, and just cry out to you, and they nourish your soul, and then... You're at work, and somebody sits down next to you and says, I'm having a problem. I don't know what to do. And their problem finds its solution, finds its answer, finds its leading exactly in the Scripture you read that morning. Anybody else ever experienced that? Or maybe it was two days earlier, or maybe it was the the message that you were listening to as you were driving to work that day. God uses His Word in our study of His Word to speak to us, and also to lead us and guide us. So I want us to kind of take a step back, and and I want almost in your mind to to see, we're we're taking a step back from this map and this journey that we're we're, uh, going through, and I want us to see where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Amen? Sound like fun? Anybody? I'll take the three head nods as you're super excited, and you're just giddy, and you're so happy and so excited you can't even talk. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, because we need Jesus we forgot to put him on the stage today. (laughs) My wife's out of town. I'm sorry. She'll yell at me when she hears the podcast. Uh, Let's pray and let's ask Jesus to come and be with us this morning and speak to us. Holy Spirit, Now we thank you. We thank you for your presence that's already been here. We thank you that that it's true. The more that we look for you, the more that we seek you, the more that we, we search out you, the more we find you, and the more that we find of you, the more in love we fall with you, the more deeply and richly we find ourselves just infatuated with you. But Lord, we also know quite well that the only reason we desire you is because you have first desired us. And so even in that seeking and finding and loving, we know that the true genesis, the true start, the true beginning is you seeking us, you finding us. For you make it clear that you choose us before we choose you. And God, that makes us stand in awe and in wonder of your love and your grace and your goodness. So God, we come to you this morning, and first Lord, we ask that you would be with with those that are celebrating this day. God, the birth of a new child, the beginning of a new family, a new marriage, a new covenant was made last night, a new life came into this this breathing life that we live, and we celebrate and we rejoice and we ask your, your, your joy to be with them and your celebration to be with them. And Lord, we also lift up the Ham family to you and ask that your presence would continue to be with them. God, their report is that through all of this, they are seeing your faithfulness and your goodness. And we celebrate that. And we ask for your purposes and your plans to be fulfilled in them. And Lord, In this moment now, we ask that you would continue to be with us. We don't beg you to come and be with us. We know you're already here, and we know you're already moving, and you're already stirring our hearts and changing our thinking, even just in your presence. And so, Lord, now in that atmosphere, in that environment, in this place, in this time, we ask that your voice would reverberate through these walls and that you would come and you would speak to us and deliver your word. And like Lazarus, we would hear your word and have nothing to do but respond to Your life-giving Word to us in hearing, receiving, and yes, God, in the grace to obey what it is that we hear. We would respond to You, be changed by You, be transformed by You to the hearing, receiving, and obeying Your Word. Don't let us be deceived into thinking if we hear Your Word, it's good enough. Don't let us even be deceived into thinking that if we receive Your Word, It's good enough. God, let us be transformed by grace, by the hearing and obeying of Your Word. We give You all the glory and all the honor, all the praise, all the adoration, all of our worship, all of our affection is Yours, Jesus. Amen. Let's look at where we've been. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. We've We've been looking at this passage. Let's read this. It says, I am the true vine, Jesus speaking here, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's kind of where we've been. We've been looking at this idea, this concept of fully and totally abiding and resting in Jesus. Let me just put it as bluntly, as to the point as I can. There is nothing more important than your uniting, dwelling, and abiding In Christ. It is the single most important thing that you can ever experience and know is to be united with Jesus. If that seems like an overstatement, it's not. If anything, I'm struggling to find words to communicate to you just how vitally important it is. Because without union with Christ, without abiding and resting in Him, we are hopeless. Jesus Himself says, apart from your resting in Him, you can do nothing. We want to amend that, don't we? Well, I can do some things. He makes it clear that nothing we do without Him is anything. That abiding and resting in Jesus is all of it. We put it this way around here. It's all about Jesus. It's all about resting and abiding in Him. But what we've seen is that resting and abiding is the key. Resting and abiding. The union that we have with Jesus is the key to everything that He has called us to do. We've made this uh, grand statement here from this passage. We've kind of pulled this together if I can use computers right or technology right. Um, The calling and mandate from the Lord on the believer are impossible. Our only hope is to totally and completely unite with Jesus until we are fully hidden in Him so that His perfection engulfs so thoroughly our imperfection that we stand clean in Him and He stands glorified in us. That this calling for us to bear fruit in, for, for the Father's sake, to glorify the Father through bearing fruit is impossible for you and I. You can't do it. It's, it is completely and utterly in yourself impossible and that calling on you to bear fruit then goes beyond that And he says not only do I want you to bear fruit to glorify my father but I want you to be filled with joy in the midst of it so I'm gonna give you an impossible task and then ask you to do it and be happy about it anybody ever had a boss like that well the calling and the mandate are given to us so that we might be forced come on somebody to unite fully and completely with Jesus he gives you the task impossibly gives it to you so that you might be drawn into Him and might rest and abide and stay in Him so that He might fulfill the calling and mandate on your life through you so that only He gets the glory. And the true heart of a son is to glorify His Father. And so we rejoice in our impossible calling because it forces us to unite with Jesus. It forces us completely and utterly to unite with Him but what we've seen as we looked here, and I want to pull this up. because I didn't have time to make this kind of point the first time we looked at this. Um, John 15 talks about this here. It says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. We talked about this a lot. This idea of the internal working of Christ within us as the vine and we are the branch, right? So he's the vine. We're the branch. We, we rest in him. We abide in him. His life flows in us and flows through us, causing fruit to be able to be produce in our life this is the internal working of God in our lives but then we see the vine dresser is the external working of God in our lives that there is an external working that God is not a God of either or God is a a God of both and that he'll work internally with you motivating, changing your heart, changing your desires, changing your your, the way that you function, and the way that you think renewing your mind and he will also work externally on you come on all you married people right? He will put things in your life externally to prune and to work on, to cut away these things that might seem like they produce fruit, but ultimately will hinder your ultimate fruit production. But here's what I want us to see. He says that, that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Option one, you don't bear fruit. Option two is in every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And here we see a glimpse of something we talked about, but not directly associated with this, and I wanted to show it here, that there is only two options for branches. Either you don't bear fruit, and you get plucked out and thrown away, or you do bear fruit, and you experience pruning. So what we've called this series has been Further Up and Further In. If I can find the title slide. I love computers. They're awesome. Uh, We've called this series Further Up and further in because it's this idea that we are united with Christ through the gospel into the kingdom and we have an option here. Either we can choose to not bear fruit and go backwards or go further up and further in. That abiding in Christ is not stationary and stagnant but it's Explorative. It. It's We go into the kingdom. We explore fully the gospel. We don't advance past it. Hello somebody. We don't, we don't move. Well, I kind of started with the gospel and now I get to go to something else. That's never the truth. That's never the path, but rather it is through the gospel and in the gospel that we explore the kingdom, the person, the nature, the character of Christ. And so we saw in this in our past as we've been looking we've seen the need the necessity to abide in Christ amen so what we saw was Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 in this abiding we saw this for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God we we saw as we looked through this abiding that it requires faith that it is done by grace it is It is all all of these things are are talked about in the sense of the vine and the vine dresser, not us. We're not even mentioned until later, right? It's all about Jesus. It's all about His Father. It's all about that. And and that is because of the grace that He has given us that we get to be branches grafted into Him. And the pathway, the journey, the the cable, the the conduit, the, the pipeline, the channel that brings that grace into our lives is faith. And so if faith is the thing that brings grace into our life, we then see that faith is the thing that is needed to explore and to to journey into this life of abiding and resting in Christ. So we've gone to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're looking. But because Hebrews chapter 11 is Hebrews chapter 11 and not Hebrews chapter 1, we wanted to get some context, right? We wanted to know where the heck we were. So we read these. It says but my righteous ones shall live by faith and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him here again we see this we see the options right either either we live by faith or we shrink back either we produce fruit and experience pruning or we shrivel up we die and we're plucked out these are the only options but here's the good news here's the great part there's a big but in this verse says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. As regenerated children, as regenerated sons of God, we are not those, come on somebody, who shrink back. We are those who persevere. We are those who bear fruit. We are those who experience pruning, who are transformed by grace and move on. So I want to read this again, and I want us to not stop at this chapter break, because Maybe most of you probably know. In the original writing of the Scriptures, there were no chapters and verses. We added those later. Those are not divinely inspired. We added them to make studying and reading easier, referencing a little bit more simple. And so I want to read this again, and I want to do my best to try to just read this straight through into chapter 11, okay? So so here we go. It says, but my righteous ones shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Well, we are we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We understand here that that we don't shrink back, we press forward. How we press forward is through the path, through the, the, the ancient pathway of faith. We see here and throughout the rest of this chapter that God's path into the kingdom further up and further in is, always has been, and always will be the journey of faith. That living by faith is not some new thing that was cooked up by the New Testament that contradicts the Old Testament, but rather that God has always called people to live by His grace, through faith. And so the writer of Hebrews now is going to go through and show us consistently all these heroes from the Old Testament and show these good little Jewish children that he's writing to that this is not some new, far-fetched, further-out-there idea. So that's where we are. We were in a place where we were looking and seeing the need to abide and rest in Christ and how that's an exploration. And we saw that the pathway that we're going to walk to explore that is through faith. So we need to understand faith. We need to grasp faith and wrestle with faith. Just to read this in another way, Hebrews chapter 11, 1-3, this is from the message paraphrase of, of the Scriptures. It's a great way to kind of see the, the, the Bible a little bit differently. It's not a, a solid translation of the Bible. It's a restating of the Bible. And it has its place and its purpose. And it says it this way. It says, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's Word. What we see, created by what we don't see. So we've been looking through that. We've been wrestling with that. We've seen that faith is hearing God and choosing to respond in obedience. It's as simple as I can put it. It's an, obedience, an obedient response to God's word to us. That when we, we were kind of, when it, as it relates to our, our journey through John 15, right, we're kind of at that part where he's talking about if you obey my commandments, right, if you do what I've called you to do, if you're obedient to me, I'm obedient to my father because I'm a son, and you're now a son, so you should be obedient like I'm obedient. That's faith. So we've gotten to a place where now we've, we've looked at Abel and, and Enoch and Noah. Last week we started looking at, at Abraham. And so this week we're going to kind of wrap up our look at, at Abraham here. I'm going to zip down to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look for, from verse 8 all the way through verse 16. Now some of this is review and so I'm, I'm not going to review. If you were not here last week, the podcast is up. Go ahead and listen to that. I want to grab a hold of a few verses here. And see where we're going. So we saw where we were, right? Abiding in Christ. We saw where we are. Understanding that that is done through through the exploration of the gospel and the kingdom. Through faith. Where are we going? Where are we headed? Where's our destination at this point from here? Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Catch, the, catch the, the juxtaposition of those two statements. He has a land that God has promised him, and yet he chooses to live there as a foreigner. He doesn't choose to go there and conquer it. He doesn't choose to go there and, 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 and force something to happen, but rather he goes there and lives as a foreigner, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. So even, even as his, his family progressed they chose to live differently than maybe would be expected for somebody who believed that the land that they lived in was theirs. Because they were heirs with him of the same promise. So it has something to do with the promise that was made was why they lived the way they did. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I'm going to just tell you that right now. I mean, I recommend the whole thing. All of them are great. This is one of those ones that I just kind of Reverberates with me here. It says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We're going to come back to that one. That's a good one. It says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, hello somebody, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and, and him, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. Abraham goes out. He's given a promise to possess a land and to have descendants. And if he goes to this land, and if it was me or you, okay? I'm going to get just as, as gut-level honest as I can here. Human nature says, God made me a promise, and it's mine, and I'm going to go and I'm going to make it happen. Right? I'm going to go and I'm going to force this thing to happen because it's my promise from God. And I, I get all puffed up in my self-righteousness, hello somebody, and I, I demand what is mine. And would, I mean, isn't that kind of what we would expect from Abraham at this point, right? We find out, as you read through Genesis, we find out that dude, like while he doesn't really own anything of significance, if you're going to be real, he doesn't own any property, right? He has no, like, all of his possessions are perishable. He owns like sheep and goats and people. All of which a bad windstorm could take away, right? He doesn't own, he has no dirt that's his, but yet he has all this perishable stuff. We find out as we read through Genesis that, that he even has an army. He has enough servants to muster an army that can take out kings. So if it was me, I'm just going to love with you. I'd march all those people together and I would go in my self righteousness. I would conquer all of the cities there and I would take the land that my God, hello, has promised me. And yet we see Abraham. Lives in tents. He's homeless. I can relate to it right now. He he's 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 homeless. He he has no home. Does anybody else like me hate camping? I, I just don't get camping. I, I don't understand it. I don't I don't. It doesn't resonate with me. I'm like we should go camping. I'm like we should go pretend like we don't have electricity, running water you go wipe with leaves? No, thank you. Like, I'm good with my house and my bed. I have a very comfortable bed. It's in storage right now. I'm missing it. It's it's super comfortable. I have a beautiful wife who likes to sleep in the bed with me. It makes it even better. And yet, Abraham chooses to live in tents. Abraham chooses to have temporary dwelling in this land. Because, it says he's looking for a city. I love this whose designer and builder is God. He came into the promised land and he had the ability by faith to see that the promise of a land, the promise of a city, the promise of descendants had nothing to do with this dirt ball that we spin around the sun on. That there was, some, there was a city. He came and he saw all these cities and he went, none of these are worth me mustering my army and taking. I would rather have a city whose designer and builder is God. None of these things are good enough. We saw in, in, in Abel that faith offers. We saw in Enoch that faith walks. We saw in Noah that faith builds. We saw in Abraham earlier that faith obeys. Now we're seeing this. Faith looks to the future. Let me put it a different way, a better way. Faith looks to eternity. Faith understands that this here is temporary. That this here is is all going to ultimately be destroyed. And where we're going as we journey further in this, we are going to see quite clearly, quite, quite articulately, that our hope, our destiny, I'm going to put it even this way, our allegiance, our assurance, our obedience, our identity, our everything should be tied up into the heavenly kingdom that we are citizens of. Your ultimate allegiance does not belong to a political party, a sports team, a, a social economic group, a financial institution, your favorite your favorite music, your favorite movie, your favorite identity, your favorite brand, your favorite clothes, your favorite shoes. It doesn't belong to any of that. It belongs solely to Jesus. He is who deserves your allegiance. And we don't look to this earth for a city we don't look to this earth for a possession we look to eternity and I love the way it words it here because God has prepared for them a city now there's a there's a little wording here that I'm going to be honest with you I uh, the verse 10 not I'm not shrinking back I'm not one who shrinks back to destruction I, I will I will move forward and say verse 10 is short list of my favorite verses. It's in there. But let me go back to it here if I can without breaking anything. Okay, it says... Uh, further back. Here we go. There we go. I can count, I promise. It says, okay, it says, for he was looking forward that future perspective to a city that has foundations, faith is the foundation under which everything else is built. I like that part. I looking forward to a city. I even like this part, whose designer and builder is God, but I like it because it sounds cool until I have to start listening to what it actually says, and then it, it's hard. Because you see, if, <laughs> if the city that I'm going to live in for eternity is designed and built by God, fundamentally it is not designed by me. I don't get to put stuff where I want it. He gets to put stuff where he wants it. I don't get to choose to to have things built and made and formed and fashioned. In my image, they're going to be built and formed and fashioned and made in his image. In his city, he puts things where he wants them. I don't get to put things where I want it. See, the reason why we in our flesh want to go and conquer the city and make it ours is because then I can move the cheese where I want to move the cheese. Nobody else gets to move the cheese where they want it. I get to put stuff where I want it. Anybody ever remember growing up, did anybody else's parents, when you asked them a question, if why things were the way they were, get this answer, because it's my house and it's my rules. Dad, why do I have to be home by 11? It's my house as long as you're going to live under my roof. Anybody else got that when they were growing up? As long as you're going to live under my, ho- my roof. And eat my food, you're going to live by my rules. Okay, as long as we're going to live in God's city, he gets to design it, and he gets to build it. And that's the part that gets exciting. I don't have to build it. Now, we've talked about, we talked about this last week, and I want to make sure to keep, keep polishing this so we see it clearly. The gospel and grace are not an excuse for laziness. They're not opposed to effort. They're opposed to earning. Grace says you are a son, so you ought to live like a son. It doesn't say live like a son so that you can become a son. That's religion, that's death, that will not lead you anywhere. You trying harder to somehow earn God's acceptance is not going to get you anywhere. Rather, you realizing that you are accepted in the beloved, that because you are a part of God's people, you are accepted because of what Christ did. Now, because of my position, I give everything I have, all of my affection, all of my effort toward this further up and further in calling that I have in Christ. He's the builder. He's the designer. I'm just seeking that city. It's not this one. Come on, we saw that clearly in, in in verses uh, like twelve through sixteen, or, or rather fourteen through sixteen, we saw clearly that that look, this isn't the place that I'm looking for. If you think that somehow you can make this place like heaven, you're fooling yourself. Because here's the truth, and this I, I just, especially because we we can lean here at Sozo on the younger side. I want to make sure I'm clear on something. That, that God has in store for you in this life. Great and tremendous joy, celebration, and victory. We believe that. We we preach that. We we stand on that. But let me make something very, very clear. Every joy you have will be mixed in this life with sorrow. Every victory you have in this life will have its limitations. You'll experience victory, but it won't be full victory. There will be loss in your victory. Every rejoicing and celebrating and, and triumph that you know will, will at some point come to an end. Every party you ever throw will have its end. This side of eternity, all of it comes to an end. But we're not looking for the city on this side of eternity. We're looking for the city on that side of eternity. So I want, What I want to do is I want to show us where we're going. In this, in this sense, I didn't really think about this before, but really big where we're going, right? I mean, like, where we're all headed eternally. I want to read to you the description of the city that God has built for us. Can we do that? So we're going to, we're going to read here. This is, this is going to be a lot of reading. Okay? We're going to read a chapter of the Bible. You're going to feel like a Christian. <laughs> so we're going to read Revelation. I promise you, that the book of Revelation is better than the Nicolas Cage movie that's coming out. I promise. <laughs> okay, I want, I want us to, to see this. This is, this, is the, the, this is chapter 21 in the book of Revelation. If you forgot your Bible, you can follow along with us on the screen or on your flat screen that you hold in your hand. I'm going to read this whole thing, and I'm going to do my best to not stop it all. believes I can actually do that. (laughs) This is Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read the whole thing. I want us to see this city. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For The first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. Here it is everybody holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and he himself will be will he himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. We need to study that for a while I think. my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with flames and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, underline, highlight, circle. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. And at a great high wall with 12 gates, Four square, Its length the same as its width and he measured the city with the rod. 12,000 12,000 is a big city. 12,000 strata. Its length and its width and its height all equal. He also measured the, its walls 144 cubits by human measurements which is also an angelic measurement. I love that he just kind of throws that out. Like, like you know, we all know that. Cubits are... Man, angels, all the same. Like, wait, what? Hold on, back up. Like, he's like, no, he's just going to keep moving. Verse 18, the walls were built with jasper while the city was pure gold. But check out this gold. This gold is weird because it's so pure, it says, it's like glass. The foundation of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, Uh, Emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, so I don't even know how to say that one, the seventh, uh, okay, does anybody else think that looks like crystal light, but like, like, I'm like, crystal light, what, (laughs) what the heck is crystal crystal light, I don't like that, maybe sweet tea, but not crystal light, sorry, this is just the way I think, the eighth barrel, the ninth, topaz, the twelfth, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, (laughs) <laughs> I just love the name of all these things. Anybody who tells you that reading the Bible is boring, like, dude, we read a chapter today and it was awesome. There's crystal light in the Bible. <laughs> Verse 21. I'm going to skip the rest because we're going we're to end up having too much fun. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the, and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. That's some weird gold. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp is the lamp, or is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. want us to see something very clearly here. There is an actual, real, physical place that we are going. If if maybe you were raised in in America and you think that heaven is naked, fat, chubby baby angels playing harps and shooting arrows at people and we're just going to live on clouds and just kind of fluff everywhere... That's not the biblical picture of eternity that we have. The biblical picture of eternity is this. It's a city, a mammoth, sprawling city, where no sin, no shame, no pain, nothing detestable, nothing wrong, wicked, evil. All of that that we struggle with is gone. The shortcomings, the imperfections, the shame and the sin that we all struggle with is, is done away with. It's gone. It's vanquished. And in this city, in this city, we, we don't need temples. We don't need any sort of religious experience. We don't do this because God dwells with us moment by moment, day by day. He is there. And His glory shines so brightly we don't even need the sun. And He dwells with us fulfilling the ultimate promise that He made to Abraham and the ultimate promise He makes to us us to be our God and to make us His sons. And we dwell in His city and we rest in His city and we abide in His city and there is no pain and there is no death and there is no time and there is no passing and we exist and we dwell there in the fullness of His glory and His majesty forever. Did you catch what the city is made out of? I'm going to just level with you. In my brain when I read that, I see a bunch of crystal Legos. Anybody else? Anybody else with me? Like giant crystal Legos. And if your Legos were like my Legos, all my Legos ended up in one giant bin, right? Like I wasn't one of those kids that like put them all in Ziploc baggies. Mine were just thrown into a giant bucket. So every city I ever built was like multicolored, right? <laughs> it was like yellow and red and green and blue and purple. And like all, I don't know if I had purple Legos. But anyways, they were all like there and it was just this weird, mu- that's the way I see the city, like, right? It's just all these amazing gemstones. But when you read this, we have to see this. When you read this and you, you look through I had to ask myself this question. Why in the world would God build, build a city out of, out of gemstones? It didn't make sense to me. Because everything we read here, even the gold, right? Like, so gold, I think gold. I think, like, gold. But the Bible says this gold is so pure, it's clear. And I'm like, okay, so what do all of these things, gemstones and glass gold have in common. They're all completely transparent. You see, in eternity, the city that we're looking for isn't the city that we're looking for. The reason why I'm looking for a city whose designer and builder is God, it's because in that city he wasn't even satisfied to use building materials that would block your view of him. Everything is transparent there so that everything can be seen and he can be seen from everywhere because in eternity and in his city, the city with foundations, the designer and builder is God. In that city, guess what? It is all about Jesus. He is the reason we are there. He is the thing we are longing for. The thing we're longing for in a city that He designs is the designer, is the builder. He's why I'm there. He's what gives it value. All that other stuff is worthless if He's not there. But because He is there, there's an infinite, unending, all-knowing value that is there because Jesus is there. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He's the beginning and He's the end. He's the awe and He's the wonder. He's the splendor. He's the majesty. He's the worthiness and the glory that abides in heaven. He is the value of eternity. He's the reason the city has some value to me. Not because of the gold and the gems and the weird clear glass gold. It's Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Jesus. Where did we start? Abiding in Jesus. Where are we now? Exploring Jesus. Where are we going? To be with Jesus. Guess what? Shocker. It's all about Jesus. That's not a clever, stupid statement that we make. It's something, my desire for us is that we see that everywhere. That's not a clever slogan. It's not a cliche. It's the truth. Everything is about Jesus. Your salvation, your sanctification, it's about Jesus. Your sanctification and journey in this life, it's about Jesus. Your eternity, where you will live forever, when forever is done, you'll be with Jesus. And if your desire, if your desire in this journey is for anything other than Jesus, you will be eternally disappointed. Am I looking forward to the day when this broken body of mine is healed in eternity? Absolutely. But that that, that rejoicing that I will do pales in comparison to the simple, pure reality and fact that I will get to be with Jesus always, and nothing, not even the walls, will stop me from being able to see him. Let's stand to our feet. I would be a fool to just assume in any room and in any conversation that we all are just kind of on the same page and all here together and just kind of assume that we are all in this journey of faith, that we are, you know, I say where we've been, where we are and where we're going. There's a very real distinct possibility that you're not there. That you're not in a place where you are abiding and resting in Christ. and My call to you this morning, if, if that is you, is to abandon your own efforts, abandon your performance, and trust His perfection. Repent of your sin. Rep- repent of the thought that you could somehow perform good enough. Or repent from the thought that your sins are stronger than His grace. And abandon all of that And cry out to Him for that gift that we read about earlier. The gift of faith that becomes the channel for His grace to come into your life and utterly and totally transform you. To be listed in the list of the promised ones that He will be your God and you will be His Son. Trust and abide and rest in His ability to make you perfect in Him. His perfection has and always will trump your performance. If you're here and you are in that journey and you are in that place and you are in that experience of knowing His grace and experiencing His grace, my call to you, my cry to you this morning is to not forget that it is all about Jesus. Life has a way of eroding away our faith. You have a great week, you celebrate, you're rejoicing, suddenly it it erodes away at your thought that you actually need Jesus. You have a horrible week, you fall, you stumble, you fail, suddenly your faith begins to be eroded that that God's grace is really enough for you. So this morning, what I want you to hear is to put your faith back in Jesus. The only plug-in that's going to have power for the extension cord of your faith is the outlet of Jesus. The only branch that has, the only vine that has life in it, is Jesus. So abide and rest in Him. Let us all repent of of any thought, of any idea that anything else is good enough, that anything else is able to save us. So we're going to respond in a few ways here. We're gonna, I'm gonna call us to just worship again, to just to just lift up our voices to him to set our affection and our attention upon him we also have chosen as a community to respond in community each week as we gather together so we take by method known as where we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup and we partake this is a a symbol, a, a picture, a reminder of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, that thing which makes our imperfection no longer matter is his broken body and his shed blood for us, so we remember him and we celebrate this as we partake together if you are one who has experienced his grace this table is open to you if not if you're still in that journey we would ask you to wait and to abstain from this the other way I'm going to call us to respond this morning do it a little bit differently here with my wife not here but also because I feel like it's it's appropriate I'm going to read one more verse to us and we're going to we're going to gather our offering in this moment This is Matthew 16, 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you struggle with this idea of your allegiance being in eternity, with your allegiance being in heaven. If that's hard for you, the amazing thing is Jesus has designed fundamentally a way for you to get your affections toward heaven. And it's your checkbook. Where your treasure is, where your earthly treasure is, that's where your affection goes. And I can tell you from personal experience, I'm just being honest with you, that my love for the church, my love for the house of God increased when I began to faithfully give toward His purposes on the earth. His eternal purposes are served through His temporal church on the earth today. So how we get our treasure pointed toward heaven is we load it into the instrument that God's given us in the house of God. So we're going to receive our offering today. We're going to receive our tithes. I'm going to pray and we're going to enter back into worship. We're going to celebrate his glory, his goodness, his worthiness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here with us today. We thank you that you are God and we are not. We thank you that you are worthy even though we are so utterly and totally unworthy. God, we celebrate and rejoice in who you are. Lord, I pray for those that are here that may be struggling with this idea of of eternity being the true place of value for them. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you set your affections upon them and set their affections upon you? God, that we we might dwell and rest in you and you might be glorified magnified in us.